testing, testing. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. I know it's a Thursday night and we're all tired, but I am excited. Oh, excuse me, it's a Wednesday night. That's right. Amen. I'm here. I'm here. (laughs) I'm here now. That's right. We're excited to be in the house of the Lord, and um, we're just going to go in with some prayer. Does anyone have any prayer requests? If you do, if you could just lift your hand, we see you. And if everybody could just take a glance around the room, feel free to pray with your brother, pray with your sister. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, you are holy, Jesus. Hallelujah. God, you are worthy. You are love. You are sovereign, God. You are all-powerful, Jesus. You are all-knowing, Lord. We come to you tonight to lift you high, O God. We come to you tonight because you are the king of all kings and you are the Lord of all lords, God. There are many that proclaim to be great, but you are the greatest of all, Lord Jesus. God, we magnify you tonight, O God. We lift you up because you are worthy to be praised, God. You are faithful even when we are not. You are good even when we are not. You, God, are the only true and living God, and we know that you can do all things except fail. So tonight we come to you to lift you high, O God. Tonight we come to you knowing that you are the king of all kings in every area of our lives, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we ask that you would forgive us of every sin, Lord God, of everything that we've done, knowing and unknowing that is not like you. Make it personal. God, we repent today, Lord God. We come before you in complete and total humbleness, Lord God, asking that you would create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, O God. We pray, Lord God, that you would wash us anew tonight, Lord God. Allow us to lift clean hands and a pure heart onto you tonight, God. We ask, Lord God, that when you look at us tonight, that you would see a reflection of yourself tonight, Lord God. Oh, Father, we bind the spirit of distraction tonight, Lord God, and we loose your focus, oh, Lord. We pray, Lord God, that you would allow our hearts and minds to be on one accord tonight, Lord God. We pray tonight a spirit of oneness, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, we pray tonight a spirit of oneness, O God. Your word says that when the people were on one accord, Lord God, your spirit came rushing in like a mighty wind. So tonight... We pray a spirit of oneness tonight, Lord God, that we would be on one accord, that your spirit may fill this place like never before, O God. In the name of Jesus, we know, Lord God, that it's a Wednesday night, but we just pray, Lord God, that you would show up and show out in this place tonight, Lord God. We pray that you would touch the man of God. That you would use him in a mighty way, Lord God. Anoint his words, that your word tonight, Lord God, would penetrate our hearts. Allow us to leave this place differently than when we came, Lord God. 
Allow us to leave with different minds, Lord God, with a mind that is made up to serve you, with a mind that is made up to go deeper in you, Lord God, with a mind that is made up to have an insatiable hunger for your word, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, allow us to want more of you tonight, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, allow your word to just be, we already know your word is good, Lord God, but allow it to just fall on good ground tonight so that when we leave this place, we would never leave your presence, but we would want more, that it will prompt us and push us to go deeper and to want more of you tonight, God. We pray for those that had their hands lifted, Jesus. We know that you are a healer. We know that you are a healer. Your word says, Lord God, that by your stripes, God, we are already healed. So I pray that you would touch physically, Lord God, that you would heal physically, spiritually, Lord God, that you would heal mentally and emotionally tonight, Lord God. We pray that you would allow those who are feeling sick in their bodies to feel comforted. We pray for Rayon tonight, Lord God, that you would touch him right now in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, we know that he's away at school, but allow him to sense your presence. We dispatch your angels, Lord God. Allow him to feel your presence, to sense your comfort, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, for every hand that was lifted, you know the need, Father. You know the need. So I pray that you would meet your people where they are, Lord God. We thank you and we praise you tonight because we know that it is well and that it is done in your spirit. Let's lift our voices and give the Lord a praise because we know that it is well. As praise and worship sings, let's just continue to worship him. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's continue to bless the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Glory to your name, God. We worship and magnify you. Glory to your name, Jesus. Father, you are good and your mercy truly endures forever, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands.
good, Lord. There is none good but God. Amen. And we are so grateful to know him for ourselves. We celebrate him and we thank him for his goodness and all he has done for us. He is so good. Amen. This week is known as what they call Holy Week. And so most or all religion have something going on this week. And so we know that God is uh, truly God of all. And so while the different religions have different things that they're celebrating, we know we celebrate Jesus, who is God manifest in the flesh. And I want to say this. I was talking, just talking to folks and seeing the different things that's posted on social media. Um, And and like I I understand that we all have different personalities and different thoughts, but we we truly need to think about um, what the word says about what God is trying to get us to understand. And while I am grateful that Christ died, he was buried and rose. And we'll hear a lot about that. But as the church, we know this. We, we don't have to wait till Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday to say we know he died and was buried and he rose. We know this. And so I like to say it this way. Can we just move the story forward now? And so here's the question. Since we know this, then what? You know what I mean? Too often we just want to rest on, okay, he did this for us. We know he did. But now what? That, that now that we know what he has done, then what? And while we will celebrate what he has done, we still have to ask ourselves, well, why did he do all of that? Why did he do all of that he's done that every Christian church will talk about Sunday? He was crucified. He was beaten. He was led to um, Golgotha's Hill and he was placed on the cross. They speared him in his side. And he gave up the ghost and he died. And then three days later, he rose victorious and had the keys to hell and death. And then he ascended. Why did he go through all of that? What was that for? So I can be saved and just tell people I'm saved. I don't think so. And so let's move the story forward. We celebrate what he has done. We recognize what he has done. But in order to make what he has done uh, uh, valuable, in order to, 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 to prove the power of what he has done, let's move forward to do what he had died for. What did he die for? He died that mankind may be saved. He died that mankind will live a victorious life. He, lived that, he died that mankind will have a relationship with him. 
And so all of those things that he died for, we ought to be moving that story forward. So when we think about Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, we need to make sure we're thinking about how are we moving that story forward or do we just sit around and say, Jesus died for us and then he rose. Are we going to stay there or are we going to move the story forward and say, Lord, we know what you have done and we're going to see to it that we do everything we can to move the story forward. And that's what we ought to be thinking. How do we move the story forward? You may be seated. Today is Wednesday. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and I try to keep good tradition, but I also try to make sure uh, you don't hold on to unbiblical tradition. And so an uh, uh, unbiblical dis, um, tradition is Good Friday is coming. Lift your head up. What, what, what's wrong with Good Friday? The question is, why do we call it Good Friday? Just saying. That's a tradition that we've been holding on to for a long time. Good Friday is coming. People have decided to eat differently because of Good Friday. But the question is, what is Good Friday? Because Jesus died on Wednesday, the fourth day. That's what he died. <laughs> and Jesus rose Saturday evening. So I don't know how we get Good Friday out of it. It should have been Good Saturday. <laughs> he rose. <laughs> so that's a tradition that we hold on to that um, doesn't have any scriptural emphasis. We just, you know, have decided that he died on Friday and rose on Sunday. And we know that that's not possible. Um, that's not three days and three nights. So if he died on Friday, which, you know, we have called Good Friday for the longest, um, and he rose on Sunday, we didn't get three days and three nights. So um, what, we're, what, what we're teaching is not correct. And so I, I hope that I can help us as a church to grow in correct doctrine and, um, and not just go with the tradition of man. But Jesus died Wednesday at 3 o'clock. I don't know how long before um, um, his body was um, um, the man that took his body and went and put it in um, the tomb. I don't know how long after that he took it and put it, but we know he died about 3 o'clock. Um, that Wednesday, and then they put his body in the tomb. I'm sure it's before 6 o'clock. Um, and so we know that. And so from Wednesday to Thursday was one day. He was one day and one night he was in, the, in, in burial. And Thursday to Friday was two days, and from Friday to Saturday. And we know at 6.01 starts the new day. If you go and look in the scripture, um, one of the Gospels, it said that um, Mary went to the tomb before the sun was even up um, that morning um, that he rose. Um, but when you think about it, she probably went there early, early Sunday morning before the sun came up. But he had rose after six o'clock Saturday evening. So that's why there was no possible way she was going to see him because, um, you know, he had to complete his three days and three nights. And after, you know, Saturday, at, uh, after any time after 3 o'clock Saturday um, was the time that he rose because that completed his three days and three nights. 
um, being dead, and so he rose. So, you know, keep those things in mind and, and make sure we are in the word and uh, not hold to tradition. And I don't teach you these things to make you fight with other people and tell them they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I just want you to know what's right. And so if you can help somebody through loving them to showing them what's right in the scripture, then that's great. But we don't learn of God's word to prove to people that we're right and they're wrong. That's not why we learn the word of God. We learn the word of God so we can know him more and we can help others to know him. Somebody say amen. We've been talking about making disciples and he died so we can make disciples. (laughs) Y'all got quiet on me. He died so we can make disciples. And so, again, while we are celebrating the goodness of God, we ought to ask ourselves, how do we move his story forward? We want it to count. We want it to matter. And, and it's great that it mattered to us to the point where we got saved, but it's supposed to matter to everyone. And we are his messenger to communicate that message that he died, he shed his blood, he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose so you can have life. And whoever that person is that you're talking to that are not yet saved, you want to move the story forward to let them know why Jesus died and not just a bunch of Christian in the church just telling everybody in the world that he died and he rose and thank God and that's great, but we got to let people know. we got to move the story forward. And so making disciples is moving the story forward. And so let's dig a little bit into that. Last week, we talked a lot about um, living your life intentionally. This week, we will talk about, um, which we had touched on a little bit as we closed last week, we will talk about divine appointments. Divine appointments. And so that's important that we understand Uh, divine appointments because if we are going to make disciples I I believe that we will be more effective through divine appointments than we do uh, any other way Um, for those of you that have done any kind of outreach going out into the street and sharing the gospel um, a lot of churches say we don't do that anymore we don't go out in the streets and knock on doors or spread the gospel because they say that People do not usually come to the church from those efforts. And that is true in actuality. But what I've seen over in the past is when you do what God say to do, he send guests to the church that you never met, that you don't know. For instance, we didn't go on and knock on um, mommy's door, but mommy made it here. We didn't go and knock on Chrisea's door, but Chrisea made it here. And so God will continue to show us things like that, that if you will just be obedient to what I command, you will reap the results of what I say you would reap. It might not work the way you think it would work, but you ought to just obey me and do what I want you to do. So we will always continue to go out, knock doors, pass out tracts, tell people about Jesus Christ. We will do those efforts, but we know the most effective efforts will be divine appointments. Because when God gives you a divine appointment... It's because he has something specific that he needs to do. And so that's what we looked at last week when uh, we read about in in Acts chapter 9 when uh, Peter, 
we picked up in Acts chapter 9. I'm not going to um, get too much into it, but um, Saul's conversion um, on the road to Damascus. And um, we know that he was um, struck to the ground by a, sh- um, a bright light and he was blind. And, but it was a divine appointment. God stopped them in his tracks so God can send his disciple Ananias to go and help him. So we know about that divine appointment, um, how the Apostle Paul got saved. And we might look at it that we're not the Apostle Paul, but how you got saved was, was a divine appointment. All our ways of salvation is a divine appointment. And so God orchestrated the way he would reach all of us. We just don't understand all of the plan that's entailed in what God is doing. But to, for us to get saved, it was a divine appointment. And so this kind of divine appointment happened several times throughout the book of Acts and other places in Scripture. God will give specific direction and order the steps of those who have committed themselves to making disciples. And so I challenge you tonight by saying this. God will not guide us or give us divine appointment to go and minister to somebody to reach them if our heart is not made up to help make disciples. Some of us as Christians can hurt people and push them away from Christ more than we will bring them in. And so God will only entrust those who have a heart for souls. And so I said it last week uh, as we were closing, we need to pray and ask God for a heart of passion to see lost people saved. Because if we're, if we don't, if we don't, if we're not seeing it, then maybe it's because we don't have a heart for it. And God will only entrust us if we are after the same thing he's after. As a matter of fact, um, I will just vary just a tad bit just to say um, that sometimes have everything to do with the growth of any local congregation. Depending on how much people have a heart to see other people saved, it will show in the congregation. If a congregation stays the same and it's the same people for many years, clearly without us even saying it, we don't have a heart for souls. Because God, more than any one of us, want to see people saved. And if people are not getting saved, then the question is, is it because God don't want them saved or because we don't want to see them saved or we're, we don't have the heart or we are not passionate about it. So when the church stays the same, it's a reflection on us, not God. You think he died just for nothing? Knowing all, I'm just thinking about all those people that I saw went to Iceland today. You don't think he died for them too? You don't think he want to save them too? The people you see every day, you don't think God want to save them too? Okay, then why are they not being saved? It's easy to say, well, they don't want God. I don't agree with that. I think a lot of times, even when people don't want God, it's because of their ignorance. And where we come in at is to help them get past their ignorance so they can see they really need God. And a lot of times people don't know that they need God because they're ignorant to it. Or they've been misled about it. 
And so those of us who know truth should be willing to say they're not living for God because they don't know the truth. As opposed to saying, well, they don't want God. And so we're not growing because people don't want God. I don't believe that. And so we ought to look to the Lord to get us, give us the heart that we need. The right heart that when you see people, the scripture talks about how Jesus cried over Jerusalem because he just saw the destruction that was coming. And we ought to weep over souls to say, God, why can't I reach them? I say that many times. I beat up my own self. God, what am I not doing uh, that's preventing me from being effective in reaching people? What do I need to do, Lord, to be more effective? Because if we are not crying out to ask God to help us, to show us what we need to do to reach the lost, then maybe we're not concerned about the lost. And if we're not concerned about the lost, sooner or later, we'll be concerned about our own self. Because we'll realize that because we didn't concern about someone else, uh, we start to lose our zeal and our desire to live for God. The Spirit led Philip into the desert on a disciple-making mission. I don't know if you remember, in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, the Scripture says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the very go unto the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of the great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he says, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. I believe there's a lot of people that's trying to figure out what Christianity is all about. They're reading their Bibles, trying to get understanding because uh, they're looking at the these and the thous, and they're like, I don't quite understand that. And if we will have the heart for souls, God will allow us to pull up next to them and to begin to guide them in them understanding the scripture. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this, of him or of some other man? He was reading the prophet Isaiah writing about Jesus, probably in Isaiah 53, and, and, and talking about, what 
crucifixion and, and, and what he would have to bear for the namesake of the people. And Philip is reading this, and I'm sorry, the eunuch is reading this and wondering, what is this all about? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. If we don't know the word, how are we going to be able to share Jesus with people? And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? The eunuch was reading in Isaiah, and the next thing we know, he's getting baptized in Jesus' name. So the question is, how do we get from reading about reading the scripture in Isaiah to baptism in Jesus' name is because Philip understood the word of God. And Philip began to bring him through the scripture that Jesus Christ is God Almighty and that's who died for his sin and that's who will save him if he will obey the teachings. And so once Philip explained the teachings that in order to become a born-again Christian, you must repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and live a holy and righteous life. As, as Philip began to ex explain that to the eunuch, the eunuch says, okay, I got it. And, and, and once he got it, when he saw the water, he was like, you know what, I don't want to wait. It's interesting today when we... <laughs> We, we preach Jesus to people and, and, and they hear the word of God and they know it's true, but they still put off what they should do. And there's so many scriptures that I read of, of, of the old that when the word of God was expounded upon uh, and, and, and be taught that people heard it and they just did what the word says. And today, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. We're just so much more intelligent and intellectual that when we hear the word of God, we're still questioning and trying to reason it and trying to figure out, you know, if, if I need to obey it. But but long time ago, people heard the word, they saw the word, and they did what the word said. This is why we need to pray and ask God to send us on divine appointments. Because when you go on a divine appointment, trust me, the person that you're speaking to, they will be receptive to what you're saying and they will be willing to do what you tell them to do because God wouldn't send you to them if they weren't hungry. God wouldn't send you to them if they weren't interested in the things of God. And so we all need to pray, God, give me a heart for souls and to want to see them save and to make disciples of them. Lord, help me that I may hear from you and go on the divine appointments that you will send me on. And we will go. Because when you go on divine appointments, you will experience God working in people's lives and people will be a whole lot more receptive. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. Somebody need to highlight that in their Bible, make a note of that. Why? Because the Bible says the eunuch believed. It didn't stop there. And so many people are saying, just believe. That's what we're hearing all the time. Just believe. Okay, and when I just believe, then what? And this is my, my concern. 
as I started out tonight, I'm asking, how are we moving the story forward? We continue to just leave it at a place where it's dormant and it's standing still. We're not moving the story forward. God is a forward-moving God. He is not standing still. He is moving things along. And for us to just think that all we got to do is confess and believe and that we're good, we are not understanding God's word. And so when we read here, it says, and he believed, the eunuch believed, and because he believed, he got baptized. We consistently say we believe, but we're not doing what we say we believe. And so who are we telling? Who are we trying to convince that we believe? Because if we're convincing ourselves The question still is, if you believe, what are you doing now that you believe? We can't just believe and no actions follow. If we say we believe, there must be some action. If we believe that Jesus Christ died for mankind, then we should get behind him in reaching for the lost. Every day we pray, we might pray different things, but we ought to finish up our prayers as God. I want to be used by you to make a disciple. I want a divine appointment to go to somebody who is hungry and thirsty and want to be saved and want to know you and want to get to heaven. Can you send me to a person that is hungry, Lord? Send me to a person that is hungry. We, we see people all the time and we just pass them along. And sometimes we just have to slow it down and just say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, how are you? And just, 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 just say things that if there's something there, they will respond. But if we just stay focused in, in just what we're doing and we never look around and try to reach out for others, then we will never get into the mode of disciple making. The Spirit led Philip into the desert on a disciple-making mission. He didn't have much time with, with his disciple, the Ethiopian eunuch, but he gave him a Bible study from Isaiah and then baptized him in the name of Jesus Christ. This man apparently didn't need much discipline as he was already an ardent student of the Scripture. Made me think about Chrysia, Sister Chrysia, Sister Chrysia, that she has been in church and she's been hearing the word, but the Lord had stirred a hunger in her to the point to make her says, I need more. I want more of the Lord. And because of that, it was easy for us to preach Jesus and for us, for her to say, I want to get baptized. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and perhaps was living a good life before the Lord. He simply needed some clarification and revelation concerning Jesus Christ and salvation. And because of that, the Lord sent Philip on a divine appointment to go and help the eunuch to understand. After the Bible study and subsequent revelation of his need for water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, Philip was instantly translated many miles away. Here's another divine appointment. We also have the example of Cornelius 
who was directed by God to send servants to Joppa to locate Simon the Tanner's to locate Simon uh, the Tanner's house. Cornelius, there are people. There are people in denominational or non-denominational congregations that are crying out for more. They're saying there has to be more than what I'm experiencing. There are many people that are going to a church, but in their heart of heart, they know it's right, but in their heart of heart, they're saying there has to be more than what I'm experiencing. And those are hungry hearts. Their heart is hungry for God. And we ought to pray, God, will you send those people to me? God, will you send some of those people to me so I can teach them more so they can know more because there's so much more that I know you have in store for them, Lord. And so Cornelius was that. I love that. And, and, and the story of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, I started talking about that some years ago to just say, we want to believe that people aren't considered, you know, people of God until they're born again of the water of the spirit. Because, you know, us apostolics, we, we get a little staunch about certain things. But when you know your word, when you know the word of God, you understand some things. Cornelius was a man of God. But he was not born again of the water and of the spirit. And he did not have the Holy Ghost. But he was a man of God. And we, as apostolics, we better be sharp in, in, in how we approach things. If somebody is going to another denominational or non-denominational and been faithful to God, let's not tell them they're not saved. Because ain't nobody saved anyway until the end. So if, if you're wondering, what am I saying? Nobody, all, even those of us that have repented and baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Spirit, we're not saved until the very end. Till our life come to an end or till the rapture takes place. That's when we know we're saved. So for someone that's going to a non-denominational or denominational church that, that, that is faithful to God, they just need some more truth. And they're hungry and they're saying, I need to know more. I thank God for where he got me, but I'm not satisfied. And there's a lot of people that's going to churches that are feeling like that. I thank God for what he has done in my life, but I'm not satisfied because I believe there's more. And that's where we come in because we can help them to receive the more. But we got to pray and ask God to help us with that. We can't just sit around and think that, okay... God will send them. It's like, it's like, it's like, you know, we, we hear people will start a church and when they start a church, you know, they get a building and they put a sign up and say church and they expect for people to come. That's not how it go. That's not how it go. <laughs> we, we have to do what God tell us to do in order to reach the loss. Amen. And so... Once they found Peter who had received a vision and was subsequently directed to the, the gospel, directed the gospel to the Gentiles, the divine appointment led to the salvation of Cornelius and his entire house and opened the door for the presentation of the gospel to the entire world. 
And so it's important to understand the significance of divine appointments, and we ought to be praying to God, Lord, will you put me on a divine appointment? I want to see somebody's life be changed. And I will tell you this. I said this before, but I, I will continue to see, say it. Until you experience it, you won't understand it. Until you experience God using you on a divine appointment, not just for a miracle of somebody get, getting healed, not just for a miracle of somebody hearing something from God that they needed to hear. Those things are wonderful, but I'm talking about the miracle of a transformation of a life. Until you get to experience a divine appointment where God sends you and you go and you talk to them about Jesus, and the more you talk to them, the more they want to know, and the more you tell them, them and they realize that I need to give my life to Christ and they repent of their sins and they get baptized in Jesus name. They get filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and you're still by their side nurturing them and discipling them and teaching them about the word of God to the point where they become a disciple of Christ. If you ever experience that, you will never be satisfied. You will always want to experience that. Okay, let me tell you what it's like. It's like a woman giving birth to a child. How many, ladies know this, we don't know this, but ladies know this. As a woman, before you had children, you dreamed of having children. Some of you got nervous because you know the process. Oh, Lord, how's that going to work? But that didn't stop you from saying, I got to have my own baby. And you continue to pursue that. I'm talking about before you got married, before you was old enough, you felt and you knew, I need to be a mother. And you pursued that. And even though you got nervous and even though you got scared, and even though you're wondering, you just looked around and said, but you know what? Many people had children, and they're fine. So I guess I'm going to be fine. And so you desired that. And once you experienced that, you said, man, I would like another child. Now, some have said, I don't want to go through that again, but I would like another one. <laughs> and some have said, I want more. I'm going to go through it again. <laughs> But the point is, once you have experienced it, it will never leave you. It, it will never leave you. And if you have experienced helping someone to be born into the kingdom of God, it will never leave you. And you will always have an appetite. You will always have a passion to see another person be born again into the kingdom of God. But we have to ask God to, 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 to move on us so we can experience that. We don't like to do this. We don't like to take inventory of our life and, and, and deal with reality. Because as a Christian, results is not up to you. You should take inventory and call whatever it is, whatever it is. And so if in your life you have not experienced helping someone to experience the entire born-again process and becoming a disciple, you can have your private moment with God. God, I've never experienced that. Now, I know I need to be faithful. I know I need to be obedient. 
I know I need to be submissive. I know I need to have the right spirit and the right attitude so I don't run them off. So can you start fixing that in my life, Lord, so I can experience for myself helping somebody to go from sinner to disciple? Those are the kind of conversations we need to be having with God. Because to be quite honest with you, a lot of our conversation we have with God, God is like, I got that already. Let's talk about something else. But he's just God, so he doesn't tell you that. But most of what we pray about, God already has that in his mind. God already knows what he's going to do for you. So most of our prayers are just that, that God has already have that in line, ready to take care of it. So God is wanting us to, 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 to pray the prayers that will, that will impact people's life. Pray the prayers that will expand the kingdom. That's what he's after. That's what God needs us for. Remember, when you got saved, when you received the Holy Ghost, when you was pure as the driven snow, the day that you talked in tongues for the first time, after you were baptized in Jesus' name, you were pure as the driven snow, and no better time for you to just ascend to heaven than that time. There's no other time better than that. Can you imagine? You're there just worshiping the Lord and you're praising him. And all of a sudden, the spirit of the Lord is poured out and you begin to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you begin to talk in a heavenly language that you don't understand. And nobody around you understand, but God understands. And it's the spirit of God in you just, just working. There is no greater time in your life. That's where you were just supposed to just walk and just, just start ascending to heaven. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. And so, you hear me say it all the time, why didn't that happen, Lord? And the easy answer is, just what I've done for you, you do for somebody else. Isn't that what the word say? As I have done for you, you've done for somebody else. It says, freely you have received. You didn't pay for this. You didn't earn this. You got this free. And God is saying, Now that I've given something to you, your salvation free, will you help me help somebody else receive the salvation for free? As a matter of fact, we need to all think about how we all got saved. Nobody got saved on their own. Somebody was praying. Somebody was praying. So it started with somebody praying. And the, the next... It, 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 it comes with God strategically positioning folks to help you, divine appointments being established, and that's why you got saved. And so I will stretch it to say, if we're not seeking God to help him help others get saved, we're being a little bit ungrateful. We're being a little bit ungrateful. We got saved and we don't want to help nobody else get saved. What is that? Just think about that. That's that's not nice. Because you didn't get saved on your own. People help you get saved. So now we are responsible to help other people get saved too. And so just coming to church. And so I struggle on these holidays. We're going to come Sunday. We're going to hear on social media how Jesus died. It's very rose and that's all true and my question in my mind when I'm hearing it okay 
And what? And what? What do we do about it? Is it just good enough just to say it? Or we need to make sure we do something about it. Hmm. The divine appointment led to the salvation of Cornelius' entire household, opened the door to the presentation of the gospel to the entire world. However, not every divine appointment is so clearly directed. So here it is. Don't have much more to go. If you'll hang in there with me just for another few more moments. In fact, more often than not, God opens door for making disciples when we are simply going through our daily lives with intentional hearts for others. Here we go again. And so as much as we want divine appointment, God, can you just send your angel to guide me? Will you just speak a word to me? Will you begin to give me revelation and insight about something you're getting ready to do? And while God can do that, that's not the way that it normally happens. Us reaching others normally takes place in our regular daily lives just going about our business. However, the prerequisite for us doing that, reaching the loss, uh, is to make sure we have a heart for the loss. For example, the Bible does not specifically say that Aquila and Priscilla, one of my favorite texts, I love this text. Let's look at Acts chapter 18. Love this text. In Acts chapter 18, verse number 24, another great text. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scripture, came to Ephesus. Did you hear what that just said? He was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. That's Apollos. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. Again, man, this guy's got it together. And being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord Jesus, knowing only the baptism of John. Church, there are people that know the word of God. This is, all right. So this should help you because sometimes we get a little shaky. We're wondering, how come little old me know this? And the professor at this university don't know it. And, 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 and this scholar that have a doctrine in this don't know it. It's all good. Nobody have a monopoly on the word of God. And sometimes our, our, our experiences and biases in life blinds us to some of the word of God. And so because of that, you have great scholars, uh, professors, and, 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 and doctors in, 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 in divinity. They, they know the word of God. They can break down the history. They can tell you, you know, some things that you didn't even know. But that doesn't mean they know everything. Apollos is the example. Eloquent, mighty in the scriptures. A man of God. Mm-hmm. But he only knew the baptism of John. Two baptisms in the Bible. Remember I told you. There's only the baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the baptism of John repentance. This dude knew the baptism of John. So you know he knew the scriptures. He knew about John's baptism. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue 
whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Husband and wife, don't say anything about them being mighty in the scriptures. Don't say anything about anything. Didn't give any credentials of them. It's just the husband and the wife. Aquila and Priscilla took Apollos to the side, Apollos, the great Apollos, and expounded unto him the way of the Lord more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass in Acacia, the, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. There is a great need for God's people that knows truth about salvation, that knows truth about there's one God, that knows truth about holiness and righteousness. There's a great need for us. You don't have to know all of the Bible to go and help somebody. Because so many of us get intimidated because we're saying, I don't know all that scripture and I can't remember where they recall from. Well, can I just tell you this? You know about the baptism in Jesus' name. You know that there's one God. And you know about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Those three things are the foundation of anyone getting saved. And if you know that and you don't know nothing else, you still know a whole lot more than a whole lot of people. Don't be intimidated. Don't be backing up talking about, you know, I don't know like y'all know. Nonsense. You don't need to know like anybody else know. And if you've been in the apostolic church any amount of time, you know about there's one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You know about the baptism in Jesus' name when he says we must be born again of the water and of the spirit. And you know nobody's ever been baptized any other way than in the name of Jesus after John the Baptist's baptism. You know that. And you know on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they received the infilling of the Holy Ghost and spake with tongues. You know where to find those scriptures at. If you don't know nothing else, you know those things. So you are qualified to help somebody get saved. So you need to ask God to give you a heart for that. God, give me a heart to help somebody get saved. Uh-huh. The Bible does not specifically say that Aquila and Priscilla were uniquely led by God. The day they heard Apollos speaking in the synagogue, they apparently observed during his message that he was lacking revelation. So they took him aside and explained the word of God more accurately to him. Most ministry that happens beyond the walls of a house of worship occurs through daily routine. Peter and John were on their way to prayer, to, to prayer when they served the need of the lame man who was healed. Through our daily routine is when we will have an opportunity to be used of God to share God's word with somebody else. And so I, I, I say this many times, which all of us as Christians need to you know, bear in mind. I don't care how much you know in the word of God. Never let yourself 
get to a place where you don't listen to somebody that's telling you something about the scripture that you never heard about before or you don't know. You have to listen. If Can you imagine if Apollos was like, get out my face. I know the word. You know how long I've been serving God? I understand scripture. What are you trying to tell me? I don't want to hear from you. Can you imagine that? He would know the word of God and he would never be saved completely. All of us need to take a lesson from Apollos. Whether God supernaturally directs us to a specific person or if he simply take advantage of an opportunity that present themselves during the routines of our daily life. The key is to live purposefully and not randomly. We are living by the, by, by, by the, by, by the tossing of the wind. However the wind is blowing is what we're doing. And we're not living intentionally. How about we begin to challenge ourselves in this area of living life intentionally and living life seeking for divine direction from God? How about we start living that way and not live according to just how we feel and what's happening in the moment? If we're going to do something great for God, we have to seek God to guide us. The vision of living an intentional life as modeled by Jesus was not intended to last only for one generation. The founder of the church prescribed exactly how he wanted his mission to be executed when he says, go make disciples. One full generation later, the apostle wrote, the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The other thing we need to pray and ask God to help us with is being faithful. Again, I think that some of the reason why we're not being used by God to make disciples, we're not used by God to help lead somebody to Christ, is because our heart is not in it the way God wants it to be in it. Because I've told you many times, to make a disciple is going to require your time, and it's going to require you to put somebody else above and before you. And our life has become so important that we will not put anything or anyone above or before our life. It's all about our life. And we have to challenge ourselves to say, how do I live my life intentional to please the Lord and put somebody else before me? Look at your life today. How did you do something for God? Not for you. Prayer was for you. What did you do today for the Lord? We got to ask ourselves these questions. We got to start challenging ourselves. It's not a bad thing to challenge yourself for the things that you know you're not doing that you need to do. But I believe that God wants to use all of us. But can you imagine? Somebody want to go to church? And that becomes secondary to us. I was busy in my church before we started this church. But if somebody wanted to go to church, 
somebody had to do my job, and I went to go get that person. Because I understood a long time ago, reaching the lost was the single most important thing that we can do in the church. It's great that we have singing. It's great that we have all the great things that we have in church, Sunday school, outreach, and all that stuff. But if somebody needs to get into the house of the Lord so God can minister to them, we need to make sure we go get them. And unfortunately, uh, remind me of the Good Samaritan. You know that story in the Bible, the Good Samaritan? Talks about the priest saw the dude all beaten up and he crossed the street. And then he said, the Bible made sure it was a Good Samaritan. Remember, the man that got beaten up was a Jew. His Jewish rabbi or priest or whatever you want to call him went on the other side like, I ain't messing with him. I got things to do. And it was the sinner Samaritan, the one that they considered to be dogs. It was the no-name person that saw the Jewish man beaten up and robbed and stopped and said, wow, let me help this man. And he put him on his animal and led him to the inn and paid for him to be taken care of at that moment and say, listen, if you got to spend more money, get more things done for him, I'll come back and pay you. And that, that, that story should never leave us as Christians because what it's telling us is us Christians are always focused on doing our thing. And we don't look to the side. We don't look to the left or the right. We don't think about anybody else. We just think about what we got to do. Because somehow we believe what we do is how we're going to get to heaven. What God directs us to do is how we're going to get to heaven. Not what we conjure up in our mind and say, I need to do this and I need to do that. I remember, and I'm finished here. I remember one year a good friend of mine was going to India. And he said, I'm going to India for about a month. And while I'm there, I'm not going to be able to go to church. And the person was like, I got to find me a church. Can you reach out to one of your missionary people and find out from them um, where I can go to church in India, where they were staying? And I reached out to my missionary friend. And when he found out where the person was going in India, he said, tell that person to pray. Play, play some preaching tape real low and stay in her house. She will be missing church for a little bit because where she was, she was in a predominantly Muslim area and there wasn't no church around and she would have went out there talking about church. She would have got in trouble. But because we're custom, send me to church. That's what was important when we were going to India. I want to go to church. I'm not telling you assembling is not right. God wants us to assemble. But we have to start thinking about how we can be effective. Not just always, we got to assemble at the building. We got to assemble at the building. No, we have to say, what can I do to impact somebody's life with the gospel? That's what we should be thinking first. Not the assembling, oh, I got to get into the building. Oh, I got responsibilities in the church. All of that we need to do. But a soul takes precedent over everything we have to do within the four walls of the church when we come. Paul referenced the pattern demonstrated by Jesus 
as a sustainable method of reproducing the fruit of discipleship. Paul stressed the necessity of continuing in disciple-making relationships. He used words like commit, teach, and faithful, along with the reference to his father-son relationship in the gospel with Timothy. Jesus, hear me, because I'm finished. Jesus believed that his life was worth reproducing. I'll say it again. Jesus believed that his life was worth reproducing. Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it cannot bring forth fruit. No seed can produce fruit if it don't die. And obviously Paul believed that his own life was worth reproducing too. When he wrote to the Corinthians, he reminded them he was their spiritual father and said, I urge you, imitate me. And so it's essential that we realize that once we become a child of God, our life is worth reproducing. Here's where God's going to jam us up at. Here's where God's going to jam us up at. Men, got to have my boy. Got to have my boy. I need, I need my boy like me. My son got to be like me. Yeah. Raise my boy up to be like me. And the woman want her daughter to be like her. So in the natural, we definitely want to reproduce ourselves. And we lying if we don't say we, we do. His name is IJ. You got a son named CJ. And on and on. Why do you think the, the junior's on here? They want their boy to be like them. So we want to reproduce ourselves in the natural. God wants to know, do we want to reproduce ourselves in the spiritual as well? Because if we're going to reproduce ourselves in the natural, we're going to have to give an account. How did we understand that? But we never understood reproducing ourselves spiritually. Jesus thought his life was worth reproducing, and that's why he went to the cross. Here we go again. He went to the cross. Because he wanted to reproduce himself. The Apostle Paul started living his life intentionally because he wanted to reproduce himself. And so, do you believe your life is worth reproducing? It has been said that when we go to heaven, the only thing we can take with us are the disciples that we make. <laughs> That's all we can take to heaven. Can't take our money. We can't take anything else. Only the disciples that we make. Too many good apostolic Christians are living like they are never going to die. We have nothing to do with our birth date or the, the, the day that we die, but everything to do with that interval between. The day we were born, the day we, are, the day we die, we have no control over that. But everything else in the middle... We have total control over that. And the question would be, someone needs to ask themselves, will the Lord be able to say, well done? What is he saying well done to? 
We've been saying that for the longest. The Lord will say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The question is, what is he telling us well done, well, well done for? What is he saying we were good and faithful over? I wonder if the Lord has a number of souls on us that we are supposed to reach because he put it in us. We have what it takes to reach those people. I wonder if there's a number that the Lord, you know, he says, you know, he gave one, one talent, two talent, five talent. Just from that, I'm not saying this is, this is scripture because I'm not telling scripture, but just from that I'm starting to think in my mind, Lord, does that mean you have put some stuff in all of us that you're expecting for us to give back with some, with, with, with some interest on that? Is, is that just a principle, Lord, for all of us to understand that whatever you have given us, we got to give back more to you? And so the life that he has given us in him, are we supposed to bring more back? And he ain't talking about the natural. There may be a principle that we need to gather from that, that God has put something in you for you to reproduce. Some of us may reproduce some 20, some 60, some 100 fold. We don't care how much anybody reproduce because that's where God is the only one that know what that number is. But what we do know is we all should be reproducing ourselves. Let's stand. Let me tell you this. Churches don't grow because preachers can preach real good. The church, it's not going to grow because, man, my preacher can preach real good. The things that grow churches, we normally don't like. This right here. We get busy, we get a little fidgety when you hear this kind of, because this is hard. Come on, preacher, tell me something else. But I'm telling you, some of the greatest preachers in the world only have about 25 people in the church and been 25 people for a long time. Because getting excited and emotional about something, it wears off. But solid teaching, foundational teaching, sticks with you. And we have to do these things for you to grow. I won't be able to come to you every time and pump you up, make you feel good. Yes! And shout and run and dance. You won't be effective like that. You'll leave out just happy. What, what would they preach? Girl, he preached about God is good. Uh, and he was saying something else, but man, the Holy Ghost just moved. Okay. What are you going to do with what just happened? And so that's what I'm talking about, that we have to go through these times in the church where we're listening, where it's not making us shout, we're not making us jump. And we have to listen, and some of it we don't want to listen because we're like, man, 
But we need this. This is what helped us grow, and this is what helped to expand the church. Not the preaching that preached the house down. Do we need some preaching that preached the house down? Sure we do. But this is what established foundation. This is what helped. This is the things that we need to say, God, I need to start doing that. Because I just can't keep listening to that, and I'm not doing it. And when you start doing it, I will get more amens. It's quiet because we're not doing it. But there's nothing like when the preacher's preaching what you're doing. You know that. When the preacher's preaching what you're doing, oh man, there's a shouting message. The preacher don't get done preach. He don't get done with his message when he's preaching what the church is doing. The message is never done. Because you're excited that, man, I know I'm in the will of God. Listen to what he's preaching. And I was doing that yesterday. So if we're going to shout, we need to start doing what I'm talking about on um, Wednesday nights. If you want to shout on Wednesdays. But if you just want to sit there on Wednesdays and be mad at me, then don't do it. Because I'm not stopping. Because I'm set by God. And I can't talk to you because I need to make you feel good. I got to talk to you about what God told me to talk to you about. So I'm going to keep on going whether I get amens or not. I'm serving the Lord. I'm not, I'm not serving self. Because if it's up to me, I'm like, I ain't, got, I ain't standing for no, no amens. Because, you know, you want to think that you're doing good. And so you want to hear some amens. You don't get no amens. You're like, I ain't doing that no more. But no, I'm serving the Lord. I'm not serving me. And... Your service, that the service that I serve to you is from him. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you're taking us someplace. And Lord, while it's challenging and hard, and Lord, so many of us are thinking about how busy our lives are and how much of a challenge it is to become disciple makers. Lord, we know that you will not ever tell us to do something that we can't do. You had already considered we will have jobs. You had already considered that we have families. You had already considered that we have normal lives, that we got to go to the supermarket and we got to tend to our families and we got to do things, Lord God, that we have to do to survive in this world. You knew that before, Lord God, you even before we even understood that we need to be disciple makers and you still command us to go and make disciples. Father, I pray that tonight the word of God will settle in somebody's spirit, in somebody's heart, and they will go beyond their self, Lord Jesus, and seek you so they can begin to do what the scripture says, which is to become disciple makers. Lord, I see the day where when we talk about reaching the lost, Lord, people will be running and people will be shouting and people will be dancing. Souls will truly be in the house of God saying, yes, I'm saved because sister so-and-so discipled me. I'm saved because brother so-and-so discipled me. And there will be a great glorious praise and worship in the house of God because we had obeyed you in going to make disciples, in going, Lord God, to 
be relational and let people see the love of God. I pray that you'll stir up the gift that is inside of us and that there will be a move of God in our spirit to say, go make disciples. Go and do the will of God. Somebody's hungry. Somebody's crying out for salvation. And the Lord, oh, is commanding us to go. Lord, I pray that the power of God in us will move us. Give us a heart that wants to reach the lost. A soul winning heart. A disciple making heart. Will you give us that kind of heart? That Lord, we will do whatever it takes to help somebody know you. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We will not despise your word. We will not receive your word grievously. But we will receive it with gladness, with joy, and with obedience and faith. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Will you bless us as we go to our respective places of dwelling. And keep us, Lord God, and protect us from all danger, from all harm. As we give you the praise and the honor, we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Give to the offering before you leave to our building fund. We're still building. Hallelujah.